welcome to Give Him Help, Brigham. Jeff, it's season two. We kind of, we discussed, we hit our year mark a year ago or a couple months ago. And we said, okay, it's like episode 52. You know, is this a year? Is that season two? Because we've been going for a year. But a a while back, like in October or something, we said, no, we're going to say season two starts with the first episode after July 1st. And I know this is coming out on July 8th. And we published last, you know, our first episode most of you probably listened to it on july 1st but this is the first episode that we're recording in the month of july we're following the ncaa's calendar of july 1st is the rollover to the new year that's when all the realignment happens everything gets all officially official um so it's season two we made it a whole year without the question is are we kalani satake season two because that was 2017 bronco did not leave our cupboard bare there's plenty well, no. of recruiting going on still. So, I mean, with that, then we're probably more like a Parks and Rec season two. Like oh, Parks right. and Rec season one was bad, but then Parks and Rec season two was like, hot dog, this show's going to make it. Yeah, so I, I really hope so. I think, I mean, I hope, is one of us Mark Brandanowitz and we're going to get written out of the show? I hope not. You know, as I watched Mark Brandanowitz the first couple times I watched Parks and Rec, I hated him. Like, I I totally understood why he was written out of the show. But the longer I get, like, I guess the further removed we are from from Mark Brandanowitz, like the the, the more and more time that passes, the more and more I think his character was just ahead of its time. Like, if Mark Brandanowitz is on season one of Parks and Rec that is airing in 2021... I think we find a way to make him one of the favorites of the show. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's only been, it's only been what, 10 years, 15 years, maybe since the first season aired. It was like 2009. Yeah. Okay. 12, 13 years ago. It's, I don't know, man, like his dry humor, the fact that he's like not an outlandish character on the show when everybody else kind of is, it resonates with me more the older I get. But when I first, when I first watched it through, I was like, yeah, Mark Brandanowitz, take him or leave him. But now I miss him. I want him back. I, yeah, I kind of feel that too. At first he was like, oh, this is annoying. He's kind of a weird character that they're like, oh, they just dumped him and they got rid of him. But now it's, he is kind of, I don't know, I'm rewatching it now. I do, I do enjoy Mark Brandanowitz. Who is your favorite Parks and Rec character? Do you have to ask? Who do you think it is? Well, I'm going to guess it's Ron for you. Of course it's Ron. Yeah, I'm going to guess it's Ron. And that's what a lot of people would say. For me, it is, I'm a big Tom Haverford fan. The thing is, I, yeah, I do. I love Ron, but also if you actually watch any of Nick Offerman's like stand up, it's just not funny to me. Like he peaked as Ron once, once. And so that kind of, that once I got into, you know, listening to more of Nick Offerman and by more, I mean like five minutes. It was doesn't, like, doesn't it, take much to be no, like, this no, it's, but I do, I do love Tom Haverford and I don't know. And I a, think, and, I think Aziz, Ben is hilarious. And Aziz Ansari is funny in everything he's in. Master of None is one of my favorite shows. Like he's hilarious all the time. Yeah. Like I, I do love Tom Haverford because of Aziz. And I think Tom Haverford, my, I think he has like, the best character growth over the yeah. like he really matures into 
like, you know, what happens in the final season with his like book and everything. Like he is, he's one of the best written characters. I agree with that. I really appreciate that. And as much as I'd like to think I am Ron Swanson, like I'm this tough guy that I cook food. I hate the government and I'm just tough. I think I am much, I can, I can relate a lot more to Tom Haverford outside of like the affinity for clothing and looking nice. Uh, I also don't like to really get dirty and get my hands dirty. I have this like infatuation with, I'm going to start my own business, but maybe I'm just not that good at it. And that's why I, you know, I, I feel like me and Tom could relate a lot more than me and Ron. Like Ron is the guy I want to be, but I'm just not Ron. If we put this in BYU perspective, Ron is like Clemson. Like we look at Clemson and we think, wow, they've got kind of a quirky, super Christian head coach. They're kind of a weird school that like isn't, they weren't a powerhouse, but look at what they did step by step by step. And they had continuity in the coaching staff and that's all it takes. And we could become Clemson. That's like the Ron Swanson. Ron Swanson is Clemson, but BYU they're we're more like Tom and Tom is kind of, or, you know, like if we put it into another, like, I don't know, Iowa, like you kind of are who you are. Maybe you're going to be good at one point, but you, you just, you're Iowa. You're always there. And I feel like that's who BYU is. And I feel like that's what Tom is. And I feel like maybe that's who I am. I'm a little bit of Iowa. I'm much more Iowa than I am Clemson. You're not a little bit of Lexus. Have you watched Shits Creek? I have watched Shits Creek. And did you read the article on her that she is much more? I can't even remember her name. Uh, Annie, Annie Murphy. Annie Murphy is much more. That was the headline. Annie Murphy is much more than a little bit of Lexus. Have you watched any of her new show? Uh, I've seen previews. I have not watched it. Is it good? It's, yeah, there's like five episodes out. It's like an eight part show. And it, yeah. it's very strange. It's like, it's well, weird. it was like comedy murder, wasn't it? Like yeah. So weird? the name of the show is Kevin can f himself. Yeah. And they, it's actually Kevin can f himself. Like it's they used a euphemism instead. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's like it's when she's with her husband. It's like stereotypical sitcom. She's there. He's just like a big goon who plays dumb and like is always drinking beers with his bros, whatever. But then every time, and it's like super bright and classic with like a one camera film, whatever. But then as soon as she steps into a different room or she's by herself, the color changes and it's not a sitcom anymore. It's like a drama. And it's like, you see how like weighed down okay. she is by being married to such an idiot and like oh. how they have no money and she's super frustrated. And it's pretty interesting, like how that it's- cool. Uh, it, it, like it, it's pretty interesting. And I think it's like a mini- See, it's planned to be a mini series because after the last episode, it just said like there's only three parts left, and so I think it's just like an eight episode mini thing, and then it's done. Which I really like that format because writers tend to try to keep things going too long, or yeah. and yeah. it's they run out of ideas or they force stuff. It's easier to write. Uh, it's easier to write. You know, one good season rather than try to write you know 50 yeah 50 well, episodes of and, and i've i've never written a sitcom or a tv show obviously but in my head it's like i've got a really good idea like think of the office and the office maybe isn't a great example because they had kind of the script to follow with the other office 
but it's like, okay, I've got Jim and Pam. We're going to make them fall in love. We've got a goofy boss. We've got goofy Dwight and we're going to play these pranks and do these stories. And you see them play out in the first few seasons of, of the office and it's awesome. But then Jim and Pam get married and Michael moves on and it's, Oh shoot. What do we do with the rest of this show? Like writing a TV series is tough, but writing a good, like that's really like an extended movie, right? A mini series. That's just one story for 10 episodes and then you don't have to touch it again. That can be done and that can be done really well. Right. And so it's, I, I recommend to our listeners to, uh, to go watch that. It is entertaining. Um, but that is, you know, that is not even the most wild thing of all of this is I, I just want to find that you somehow we started this show and the mildest thing is that you ended up comparing Ron Swanson to Clemson and BYU to Tom Haverford. I mean, I think I stand by it. Like it was, it was kind of a roundabout metaphor, but I think in the end, once I got there, I think I, I think I can stand by that. Yeah. So, I mean, I got to chew on this a little bit, but I think I'm on board there with you, but we have, a couple things that are outrageous to continue on, um, you know, with our hot take episode of last week, not really hot take episode. Well, this is not a hot take episode. Last week was definitely the hot take episode, but we are now like a full week into NIL and things are insane. It's the most bizarre thing to NIL with me is that Tyler Batty was the first BYU player to officially ink an NIL deal. And it's with and, a and Austin and Austin Riggs, man. Who's the, what the backup long snapper? Is he? I don't even know. It, it's like, gotta I, be a I family. It's gotta be a family friend who owns a chapstick company and is like, oh yeah, sure. We'll give you 50 bucks. It's gotta be something like that. Um, it was a little strange. NIL. NIL has been interesting. I, I, we've seen so many NIL takes over this first however many months of the se- or uh, weeks, days of the news. And it really kind of started when like the Supreme Court made their decision that, hey, uh, college athletes can go get paid. And, and then it really took off after the NCAA um, – after the NCAA officially like made it legal, but we've seen takes from things like, uh, that like BYU is going to have just, you know, all these businesses lined up at the door. It's going to revolutionize BYU recruiting. It is, uh, going to what, like eventually players are going to transition from taking money to just getting stock options. Like we've seen all kinds of takes about NIL and, We've had some time to digest this now. And here is my official, official take on NIL and BYU. Officially, the official take. Everything really else before this was just ponderance. This, this was is- just, this was wondering. Uh, everything was pondering, wondering what was going to happen, potential future stuff. This is the take. It's not going to be that big of a deal. And here's why. Uh, outside of, you know, uh, okay, great. You know, post an Instagram post about your buddy's chapstick company. We'll pay a hundred bucks. Awesome. Like that's going to happen. Glad it can happen. There'll be a few guys, probably quarterbacks that, uh, in the off season, they're asked to go and show up at an event, you know, some sort of an expo. We'll give you five grand to show up so that we can say, Hey, 
win a Jaron Hall autographed ball by putting money into this raffle. Like that, that's going to happen. There's going to be some of that, but that's the kind of stuff that's going to happen at every school. So I don't feel like that's a differentiator at all. The only instance in which I see NIL really making a tangible difference is for people who have a massive social media following, right? Like Shaylee Gonzalez has almost 212,000 followers on TikTok now, plus 80,000 followers on Instagram. That's more followers. She has more followers on TikTok than the official BYU football account has on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok combined. Like that's a big following. I think well, you right. know, in the in the grand scale of things, it's not that big. But for BYU, that's that's huge. Uh, so Shaylee Gonzalez is going to be able to capitalize on that. Those are the people who are going to make money. When I think when we've heard name image likeness, we've had a tendency to think like the direct payments that are going to go to BYU athletes because they're BYU athletes. But that's just not the case. The money is going to go for people who are big doing something else on their own that just happen to be BYU athletes, that they have not been able to capitalize on that up until now. Right. Like uh, who was the who was the dude at UCF? Right. Like there was a UCF player a couple of years ago that had a big YouTube channel that like had Uh, I think he had millions of millions of subscribers if i remember right like it started to make some waves doing like college football stereotypes yep, donald de la Haye. yeah and he, it, yeah he and, and the ended, ncaa shut it down the ncaa well the ncaa tried to shut it down and instead of doing that he just left so he's got 3.4 million subscribers on youtube and so he just left school he was like i'm I guess I'll give up football. And he ended up, he went and he played for a season in the CFL and the Toronto Argonauts kind of like used to use his channel to market their team, whatever. And it, but yeah, it's like you have, unless you're getting, people aren't going to be banging down the doors, like for everybody. And we kind of talked about this last week that it's, you know, the players that are like, Oh, DMS are open. Everyone talk to me. Like you're not going to be getting thousands and thousands of dollars because a max school offered you a scholarship, right? Like it's, I, for the most part, yes, there will be some boosters who were like, Oh, I can use this to try to help my team with recruiting. Well, there was but Miami. The most, Did you see Miami? Yeah. Like, like it's they a, have the one booster that everybody gets 12,000 bucks or something like right. that. It's like, you're going to have things like that here and there, but for the most part, it's companies will be paying and there'll be an initial surge and then it will level off. Like that guy did it because he could get his name in the news, whatever, like 10 years from now, he's not going to be doing that. And the, it will level off in the initials after the initial surge, but like companies are, they're not going to magically double their advertising budget. Like it's some of this may, well, smaller schools don't have the smaller schools do not have the budget or the fan support to where their players are going to be getting a ton of NIL deals anyway, unless it is somebody who like has an independent following and they happen to be going to whatever school because, you know, like what you were saying with Shaley Gonzalez, but it's the like recruiting of going to buy players. That's not going to be a thing because companies like they're not going to change their action, but there may be some schools in the in-between where they like, Oh, well, we want to do something directly with a player and we're also a corporate sponsor of the school. So now we're going to give the AD 50,000 less dollars and we're going to give it to this player. Yeah. Instead. Yep. And so there, there will be. like, there will be some, in some cases there will be negative financial impact for athletic departments yep. because stuff is going to the player. But for the most part, it's like, I don't know. People always talk about like, Oh, like players don't get paid enough. You know, they're sacrificing their body. Like the value that they bring to the school is not proportionate. 
and for the honestly for the majority of players just the raw number of players that is not true like they are they are getting more they are getting more value out of their scholarship than what they are contributing but on the whole if you just look at the average the average player does gets more so let me rephrase that so it's like look at byu right like it's zach wilson last year he did not get paid enough for what he did at byu than from compared to what byu got from zach wilson being zach wilson right so he but he is one player out of 110 guys on the camp roster i don't even know how many we actually rostered once school started last year normally byu carries around 125 guys where it's like if you look at guys like back, I mean, I don't know who's a, I mean, like a lemma might, right? Like a backup guy on scholarship who doesn't get very much PT. He's definitely getting more value. Like it's not, you can't just say like, oh, all these players are so underpaid, right? Like right. it's because, and it's the same way. If you look at that value, it's like those backup guys are not going to be getting anything just because they're on the roster, right? And any more than they already did for stuff happening under the table. So I think, I really think I agree with you where it's, in the long run, after this initial wave, it's not going to be that big of a deal unless you are actually able to create a social media following and be an influencer in your own right. And, and that's what it is. Because, And this is why I think I came to this realization this week. I thought of Norm Chow and I thought of Robert and I. Coordinators. I thought of Fessy Satake. Coordinators who have been or position coaches who have been like a big part of the program for a number of years. Robert and I is maybe the best example. Uh, okay. One, I guess he doesn't have the most marketable personality in the world, but Robert and I was a, everybody knew who Robert and I was. If you were even loosely affiliated at all or uh, familiar with at all, BYU football, you knew who Robert and I was like, he was almost as much of a, a, a focal point of the program as Bronco men and all was there the same amount of time, was a big deal. How many people were knocking on Robert and I's door for advertising opportunities? How, how many commercials did Norm Chow get? Right. Like how, how often was Qualtrics just running at the opportunity or the chance to go and meet with Jeff Grimes? Like they just aren't doing that. And those are our coaches who every fan knows who they are, everybody talks about. And frankly, a guy like Jeff Grimes has a bigger following, in air quotes, um, across the nation than most BYU football players individually do because he's been a coordinator at Auburn and Virginia Tech and you know at all these different schools. Um, he didn't have any advertising opportunities, to my knowledge. Not one. Like Norm Chow was never on a commercial. Lavelle Edwards was. Norm Chow was not. So, okay, now you, you, you remove the restrictions and you can go get anybody to advertise your program. Well, if I'm a business owner, and I am thinking, okay, a BYU football, whatever, helps me, you know, market my program. I can get a return. What is it that even a player, even Jaron Hall right now, maybe Jaron Hall in a year if he's the starter and he blows up or whatever, but Jaron Hall today, what does he offer me that Jeff Grimes couldn't have offered me a year ago? Right. Not much, right? Like, I, I don't think. And that's the that's the premier position and the premier player. So let's take Gunnar Romney. I mean, could Gunnar Romney really drive people to my business? Probably not. And so just I, I don't see very many businesses lining up at, at this opportunity. 
But people who have social media followings, those are the people who are going to capitalize off of this. And I wrote about this this week on, on Cougar Sports Insider. Uh, that is one area where BYU has a very, very unique opportunity. BYU has BYU TV. BYU has BYU radio. They can provide the facilities. They can provide the expertise, the know-how, even help with some of the advertising to help players grow their own YouTube channel, to help players start a podcast and help produce you know, high-quality professional sound. Like BYU can do that. And other places, they'll have communications degrees and they'll have media, media relations degrees, but they're not going to have you know, uh, a film truck outside that they're producing actual TV shows each and every night. They can, like BYU can capitalize on that. They can leverage what they do every day for BYU Radio and BYU TV and help equip their players to become experts in podcasts, to become experts in YouTube videos, in making high quality TikTok videos and editing whatever it takes to go viral on TikToks. Like, that is what BYU can do. And I don't know, certainly there are other schools that can do that, but I don't think it's every school. And, and I think BYU is uniquely positioned to be able to, to use something like that to really help, uh, help players capitalize on NIL changes. But in terms of, you know, going to Lendio and, and asking uh, what, what is Brock, Brock yeah. Blake, Asking Brock to say, hey, hey, you're a big BYU fan. You've been a BYU fan forever. You went to BYU. Now you own a big company. Uh, what do you say, Brock? Do we want to give, uh, I don't know, Braden Cosper $10,000 to market Lendio? Like, probably not. They're just, it doesn't make any business sense. Right. So I don't think that those opportunities are going to come up that much. There uh, will be some, how, there how will many be some people... in like smaller businesses, right? Like we saw um, what's his face Rex from like Rex real estate. say so like players talk to me, like if you are a smaller, like one man operation, like insurance, or you own a car dealership or things like that, but any type of business that would have like serious advertising, like that's not a type of decision. Like it doesn't matter how big of like a BYU fan Brock Blake is. He can't just go and say, Hey, okay, advertise. We're going to drop this on this because he's got a board that he has to report to. Even like if Ryan Smith wanted to do that, he couldn't go to Qualtrics and say, out of Qualtrics budget, we need to give $250,000 for NIL payments to BYU because he still has a board that he reports to at SAP. And that's part of being a publicly traded company. Like there's other people to answer to. It's not, you know, yeah, really yeah. the idea of like, oh, I can just throw money at these players in the name of a business. Like that's all at very small time things yeah, and those type of play the people who would do that anyway regardless of the business decision they were already giving the money under the table but anyway it's before. true what i what i think is interesting and this is where give him hell brigham gets into it uh, uh jimmy rex had his tweet and i replied to the tweet said hey give him hell brigham's ready to get involved as well i i think okay give him hell brigham we're not big enough to really make a tangible difference but uh, we're going to try. We're going to do our thing. It's going to be fun. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to help a player build their brand, right? Um, I think I can say this because we have an agreement. And if we don't, Zoe, I'm sorry. But Lorenzo Fautea and I, we've been, we've been close. We've been friends, we'll say. Not like close. We're not hanging out on the weekends. But uh, I, I've known Lorenzo Fautea since he was oh, a sophomore at Hunter High School. I saw him at an all-poly camp, thought he was fantastic. 
and and he'll credit me as the first to believe in him. And we we've maintained a relationship since then. I want to help Zoe build his brand. So he and I are working out the details right now, but we have an agreement in place and I'm working through it with BYU to make everything official so that we're not, you know, stepping on toes or whatever it is, but to design some shirts and design a logo for Lorenzo Fauatea to produce something that he can, he can have all of the, the profits from this. We'll, you know, we'll cover costs. Everything that we make on these shirts goes directly to Zoe. I don't care about that money one bit. What does Gibham Hell Brigham get out of it? We put our logo on the side and we're going to mutually help each other build a brand, right? He's going to help us capitalize on his athletic ability at BYU. And we're going to give him whatever profits come from any shirt sales. But more than that, if it takes off, he's got a brand of Lorenzo Fawatea. We're helping each other. And I think you're going to see a lot of things like that like Barstool, right? Barstool started talking about their Barstool athletes. Uh, If you listen to Portnoy talk about Barstool athletes, they're not really paying these athletes anything. They're sending them free merch. They're building some Barstool athlete type shirts so that this player, that all of these random players could say they're Barstool athletes and, and it helps give them some, you know, name recognition when somebody sees Who's this random women's volleyball player? Oh, she's a Barstool athlete. I know Barstool. So they're going to pay a little bit more attention. But the only benefit they're really getting from Barstool is free stuff, free merch. If they do something with their name on it, they get a slice of the revenue. And then when Barstool hosts events, they get in for free. Like That's right. it. That's all they're getting. And that's Barstool. Barstool is a now a publicly traded company with Penn. Like they're huge. I think you're going to see a lot of that of companies helping build a brand but that does not necessarily mean companies just shelling out money to these players individually i just don't see it happening i don't see players lining up to get stock options from companies i more than that i don't see companies just saying hey we're going to give you x amount of shares in stock to do a a commercial for us I, i just don't see that happening ever i don't see I just don't see it. I just don't see the direct payments, whether it be money or crypto or whatever it is, the direct one-to-one relationships from company paying a player for an action. I just don't see that happening. I don't think so either. I don't think it will happen. And yeah, I don't, I don't see it happening and we're not going to see it that much. And something else that we also, I mean, we talked about last week in terms of BYU and like we kind of ranted on the, obsession with Stanford and other like schools, whatever. And something when we're, and we talked about like the network that gets provided and something that you kind of hit on and kind of what we're doing in terms of building a brand and things. It's like going back to this, a friend of mine reached out and, you know, said, Hey, I was listening to the show. And he's like, I think you kind of, you kind of left off the other half of it. And this is something that I don't know how we didn't come up while we were talking about it. Cause you've written about this on 24 seven before is like how there's like the in-state list, but you've kind of dubbed it the, the other in-state list where you've done like a ranking of, you know, the LDS players. And so it's mm-hmm. even if you just, the fact that you go to BYU, it's not just, you don't get just the BYU alumni network. You also get every other LDS person as part of your network in terms of, and obviously it's like their company, they won't bend over backwards. I mean, this, if they want to bend over to backwards to hire someone from BYU, they will go to BYU and go through the recruiting channels, get the graduate resume book, whatever they will do that. But at the same time, there are in other places 
where it's like, oh, if you see somebody who went to BYU, you know, like, oh, they're probably LDS. I'm LDS. And it's like, there's a certain level of affinity there. Like I even, I got my friend that I talked to, he said, you know, the person he was applying for a job at JP Morgan and they, the person who like ended up hiring him, she was a member, but she went to UT. She had no, like nothing, no, nothing, but she saw that he was coming from BYU. And was like, oh, I'll bring him in, like whatever. And that was what set it apart. Or when I was working at Shutterfly, the initial, my initial boss that I reported to there, she grew up a member of the church and like, she's no longer active or anything, but she grew up a member of the church and was very grateful because after her parents split up, the church helped her and her mom a lot. And like her mom ended up joining the church and was active until she passed away. But once my boss got into adulthood, she was no longer active, but she pulled my resume because I went to BYU and she had that affinity, like in kind of respect for the church or whatever, because of the relationship with the church that still means something like, it's not just, oh, here's the number of graduates and saying, we talked about it last week of like it being like, oh, this is kind of all over of in terms of a network, it's beyond just, oh yes, I have the bachelor's degree from Brigham Young University on my resume. You sent me a video that I loved, by the way, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talking about not going to Harvard. And I, I think I have, I had heard the, the theory before, but I had not seen this video. I had not seen Malcolm Gladwell talking about it, but he was talking specifically about, you know, STEM degrees, math, science degrees. Uh, and what was it? It was something like 13%. What was the number? 50%? I can't remember. But there was a big chunk of people that he had divided up these Harvard graduates into three different tiers. And there, you know, there was the top, there was the middle chunk, and then the bottom chunk. And I want to say it was something like 13% of people fell into this bottom chunk of they dropped out of school, they did not graduate. And then there was a tier two. Or changed their major. It was the he divided okay, into, yeah. he divided into thirds based on SAT score. And he compared the small school to Harvard. And then he said, of the people in each of these three tiers, like who, how many who started a STEM major actually finished, finished. that major besides either dropping out or, you know, changing their degree and going to something else. And it was, yeah, it was like 50% or 60% of the top tier. It was like roughly like 60, 35, 15 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. And, and those were people who changed their degrees, did not graduate. Or just dropped out. Or dropped out altogether. Right. And and his conclusion was these, you know, these people who dropped out of Harvard, they're not dumb. Like these people who changed their degree and didn't end up getting their math or engineering degree out of Harvard, they're not dumb. They're brilliant. They right. got into Harvard. They are the top of the top. And the third, like the low tier at Harvard, their SAT score was higher than the top tier at the other school he was comparing to. And so that's yeah. what, yeah. And so it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't strictly schools. It's kind of, you know, there's, there's some relevance. Like, there's like the peer groups that that's yes. who, that's what you end up comparing yourself to is not right. to the macro level. You compare yourself in a micro environment to your peer group that you see on a daily basis. And basically his end conclusion was if you're brilliant, don't go to Harvard right. because the likelihood, the odds that you finish your engineering degree or whatever, your science degree at Harvard are significantly smaller than if you went to the university of Maryland is what he said. Right. And, and as we go back to our discussion about Stanford of like everybody just fawning over a Stanford offer of how on earth could you turn that down? Well, listen to Malcolm Gladwell talk about higher education. Uh, what's more valuable, the, the Harvard education 
the Stanford education or the BYU degree, because there's a lot of people who go to Stanford and they don't get that degree. But if they would have gone to BYU or to Utah or to any number of other schools, they get a degree. Or did you see there was an article today uh, talking about the film school at Columbia and how all these big names are doing master's programs that are a step above open enrollment and but they have the open name it's if you have decently good grades and apply and write a good letter they will accept you a lot of them are online you're saying that the film school at columbia they have a master's in film and the average amount of debt is like one hundred eighty thousand dollars for graduates of this program but the median salary of graduates of this program is thirty thousand dollars a year and they will never ever financially recover from it but it's like, hey, they have that Columbia network. You went to an Ivy League school. Think of how going to an Ivy League school will change your life. Well, it's dependent on the major you have. It's dependent on where you want to live. It's dependent on how well you actually network and leverage that. Like, If you want to go work at Tab Bank in Ogden, Utah, if you go to get a finance degree at Weber State, they'll hire you. It's totally fine. You'll have the flexibility. I mean, you have a very flexible job considering like for being in banking, right? Like you go on vacation a decent amount, like you have flexible hours, you get paid well, you live a very good, very comfortable life. You didn't have to go to Harvard to do that. No, no. Mm -hmm. And nobody that I work with goes to Harvard. In fact, we run a pretty successful bank. um, And as we were, we were talking about it, that I think there's only like 12, 15 people in my direct area of a hundred or so employees that even have a finance degree from anywhere. Like most of us are accidental bankers, but we network well and we hire based off of fit and personality and we train well and blah, blah, blah. There's just lots of things out there. So slight continuance of our conversation last week. Don't just go to Stanford because it's Stanford. And, And really, what does that mean for us? I'm assuming most of the listeners of this show aren't getting football scholarships to Stanford. And I'm assuming that most of the kids of the listeners of this show probably aren't getting football scholarships to Stanford either. But we're talking about this because we need to break this mold of, well, it's Stanford. I could not send my kid to Stanford. Well, actually, maybe you shouldn't send your kid to Stanford, even if they had that opportunity. As you start to look at things differently and take a more realistic approach and don't just get lost in the name recognition of something, there are a lot of reasons not to go to Stanford. There are a lot of reasons not to uh, build universities up to be on this pedestal at large, but as, as it relates to sports and athletics, we got to stop this notion that well Stanford is that's it as soon as you get an offer from Stanford then then absolutely why why wouldn't you go to Stanford you have to go to Stanford and we've even seen it when Joe Brown that was the context last week Joe Brown committed to Virginia and people were like well Virginia's academics I couldn't turn down Virginia it's like okay Virginia is not Ivy League they're not Stanford they're not even close and I can make a very strong argument that Stanford isn't worth it Virginia like come on like who cares? It's just another school. There are a lot of reasons to go to a school. And we're not even talking about the off the field, out of the classroom type stuff about fit and things like that. But there's a ton of different reasons to go to school. Fans, we got to just stop fawning over Stanford as if it is God's gift to the earth that, oh my gosh, Stanford, you got an offer. There's, you got to turn down everybody else. Stanford, you can't turn down the value of that degree. It's just not 
what it seems on the surface. That's not to say it's not valuable. Of course it's valuable, but it's not what it seems on the surface. And there are a ton of other variables that go into it that are equally valuable at other places. 100%. Um, and kind of also going back to another conversation that was pivoted from another, this is from another listener, uh, Brendan Kingsford reached out to me and we talked about this when we, you know, with the announcement of going to 12 teams for the CFP and how this affects realignment and all this. And I think NIL also plays into this now as well um, because players are now, you know, they may be considering if some schools really hit it out of the park with NIL, then they may, you know, that may help their recruiting if they have more to offer, right? Like if you are at UCF and they're branding everywhere, like a lot of fan support, like, I mean, I already don't know why people would go to Purdue or Indiana anyway, but yep, yep, or Rutgers, other than saying, like, oh, I got to play in the Big Ten. But it's like there was already, it seems like there was more to offer. Like there is that gray area. But one thing that I had not considered with this, and it really makes sense to me of why the, like on paper, it seems like, okay, this 12-team playoff, you know, like the top dogs, they are not going to want to let more teams in and at the table, whatever. And I think at the surface, you may think, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But something that Brennan pointed out to me is like the people who lose the most from the 12 team playoff expansion are the Indianas and the Maryland's and the Rutgers and the Purdue's because they have to go through if you, okay. So if you're Indiana, you are looking at, okay, you got to go through Wisconsin and then either Penn State or if you're Maryland or Rutgers, here we'll just take the Big Ten East. You got to go through Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and then beat Wisconsin or whoever else wins the Big Ten West in order to get that automatic bid. You may be number two if you kind of beat those. You, you may get that at large, right? But then the flip side of it is now look at your UCF or Cincinnati. You got a pretty decent shot at winning the American. You can sell your kids and say, hey, yeah, you might you can't, go to the, you can't sell your kids. Don't sell your so you can't sell your, you can sell your program to kids and say, look, we have won three out of the last five American championships under this new thing going forward. Like we're not slowing down. We've got committed. We have NIO money coming in. It's widely supported. Like we are doing this. Our, you've been to our games. Games are fun. It's like, or you can go to Kansas or you can go to Purdue or Maryland where you will not only will you not go anywhere, but it's like, when you go to those schools, it's like, Oh, well, I get to play in the big 12. I get to go to those programs. You know, I get to play against Texas. That's exciting. It's like, well, okay, yeah, but if you come to UCF or Cincinnati or Memphis, you're playing for a national championship because we're in this 12 team playoff. Like that is a very real thing where it's like the path to actually playing on that biggest stage possible. The numbers are better for a team in the American or to be at Boise state than it is for you to be at Oregon state and have to get through Oregon, Cal, Washington state, and then Stanford, and then USC or ASU, whoever wants the South, yeah. right? Like yep. it's, and so those are the schools that are going to be hurt the worst. And so, and, and since and, like, this is the perfect thing for those big schools because it's Ohio state says, wait a minute, I can hurt the schools in my own division, the bottom half of my own league. So it's easier for me to get there. But then I also, get to say like, oh, well, we are opening this up. This is available to everybody. And I'm the one who gets to call the shots in my own league anyway. Like, cause we all know who runs the big 12. We know who runs the big 10. We know who runs the pac 12, right? Like and it's not the commissioners. It's the AD at USC. It's the AD at Ohio state and Michigan, right? Like it's right. Yep. 
what I think is going to be interesting is that's the on the field battle that these teams have now in conjunction with some of these NIL changes and things. Look at a school like UCF. There's there, they have more enrollment than any other school in Florida. Like there's a ton of UCF alumni in the state of Florida. So if we're talking about NIL and there are opportunities, UCF is going to have a ton of opportunities as the premier. It's like the UVU, right? Like, Everybody goes to UCF. It may not be the most prestigious school in Florida, but there's a ton of UCF people. There's a ton of people who go to UVU as well, right? Like same idea when it comes to NIL. Now, if you're a kid and you've got a P5 offer from Indiana and you've got a, uh, an offer from UCF, not only can UCF make a, a real case that they can get to the playoff in a much easier manner than, than Indiana can, they can also help you capitalize your whatever status off the field better than Indiana can as well. And so now UCF over time, if they can execute on some of these things has the ability to potentially recruit at a higher level than those mid tier P five schools, because it's going to be tough for Purdue to consistently recruit good enough to beat Ohio state, Penn state and, and Michigan. And it's going to be tough for them to continue to make a sales pitch to beat out on the recruiting trail UCF. If UCF is making the 12 team playoff every year. Those, those mid-tier, those low to mid-tier uh, P5 schools, I think, get screwed. And you can make the same argument that the low to mid-tier G5 schools also get screwed even more than they already are. Uh, it's going to be really tough for Colorado State to compete long-term. There's no question about right. it. Uh, it's going to be even tougher for, I don't know, App, you know, Appalachian State or, or Coastal Carolina to maintain the level of play that they've been at over the last couple of years. That's going to be, that's going to be a challenge, but anybody who's kind of in the fringe, that mid tier of whatever level you were at, you, your battle just got significantly tougher over the last two weeks with the playoff changes and with the NIL changes. Right. And it's, we've also, I don't know, we've kind of looked at where, and we talked about this last week too, of like where BYU fits in. And it's right now, honestly, the holding pattern is, where we're at and it makes sense, right? This is going to go into effect probably in 2023. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, the, we have a good working relationship with the AAC. All of our other sports are already parked, which is that's the issue that Boise state had is no other conference wanted the rest of their sports because they suck and don't have any fan support. And so they couldn't find anywhere to park their sports. And the American said, no, we don't want to send our baseball team from Orlando to Boise. Like football is easy because you have, you know, three conference road games a year. That's pretty cheap. Whatever. We can deal with that. We're not dealing with the rest. And so where it comes to BYU, it's like where we're already in the WCC for everything else, going football only to the AAC. That's easy. Boom, done. If we called them up and said, hey, we want to do this, we'd figure it out today. But it's when you're looking and saying like, oh, well, that gives us a path to the playoff. It's like, okay, what is the path of like our schedule versus an AAC schedule and our future schedules? It's like, you can't just say, oh, well, because if we win it, then we would be in. But I would argue that it's like against our current schedules to win the AAC, we would have to go undefeated, maybe have one loss. If we went undefeated against our schedule this year, we would, we will be in the top. Like if we run the table this year, we will be ranked like number six or seven, maybe eight, like eight, like we will definitely be in the top 10 because we will have started out the season beating four like we have played seven P five teams, beat all of them plus beat Boise state. Okay. Like it's our schedule would be as good as any, and a resume would be as good as any P five team in the country that would be respected. Like the, they haven't played anybody argument is gone. 
And so it really, I honestly think in terms of playoff chances, it doesn't change anything from one year to the next because a team that's good enough to run the table against our schedules would be good enough to win the American. And so you're saying like, oh, well, there could be a freak year where you somehow go nine and three or eight and four and then end up in the American championship game and win it. And, or, you know, or one side are the one division is weak and you're seven and five and then go in and then at eight and five, you're, you kind of fell into the playoff. It's like, okay, well, if that happened, then Boise state is probably going or whoever won the mountain West is probably not, doesn't have five losses and they're going to be the ones getting that bid or someone from the Sunbelt's going to sneak it. Like it's not so cut and dry because there is not a single time in the last decade that BYU was good enough to win the American conference. Yeah. I mean, and that's what it boils down to is, is people talk about the path to playoff for BYU got to win more games than BYU has won recently. I mean, last year was great. Last year's kind of the anomaly, but it was an anomaly year. Like everything was funny about last year. Uh, to win the American, you got to be really good. Last year, I think BYU could have. Like Cincinnati would have been tough. I would have picked BYU over Cincinnati. I don't think I'd pick BYU over Cincinnati this year. Uh, I don't think I would have picked 2019 BYU over UCF. So it's going to be tough. There's going to be a a big challenge there. Uh, You got to win games no matter where you are. Uh, Sometimes I am scrolling through Twitter and I realize like I am following people that are recruits that I have no idea who they are. That like it's somebody that I followed because I heard some buzz that they were maybe going or they showed up on a visit as part of a group with a hundred different people. And I have no idea where I'm following. Today's example is Matthias Malachi Donaldson. He just popped up. He's on a trip to UNLV. Uh, I have no idea why I'm following him. Not one iota why He's not considering BYU. I don't think he has an he offer. He doesn't have an offer. I have no clue why I am following him. And yet here we are. Maybe at some point somebody talked to him. I mean, he... I think he he's part of the giant skills group. That's who he trains with. And I know that they came on a, like a group visit with everybody who trains with them. Like they went mm-hmm. on their tour and visited a bunch of different schools. So I'm sure that that's what happened. But he might have visited like two years ago and he was 15 years old. I, I have no idea, but here I am following him. I'm going to unfollow him just so everybody's everybody's clear. Don't need to worry about it. He is unfollowed. It's over now. I'm glad we got that taken care of because I just looked and uh, yeah, he it's kind of weird to me because 24-7 doesn't have him as a four-star. So it's interesting that he's going on a visit to UNLV. Because- Dude, evaluations, man, like they're going to be screwy this year. Uh, because nobody got to see these players play as sophomores and juniors. Like you didn't get that post sophomore year, junior camp circuit for these guys. They didn't get to have a real junior season for most of them. And so anybody who's from California, I I don't know what to make of their rating because we've seen it a thousand times. Like uh, CJ Alatini is a good example. When he was a freshman, he looked unbelievable. Tausili Fiatoa looked unbelievable as a, a freshman at Orem high school. They never got any better. They just didn't. And normally right. that happens when somebody blows up early, they get a high rating because it's like, yeah, when you watch this kid for a 14, 15 year old, they're unbelievable. And you get that high rating because it's wow. If they continue to project out and progress how they look right now, this is going to be Jadeveon Clowney. Like this, this kid's going to be great. 
but some kids just grow a little bit faster. They develop a little bit sooner. And so as the rest of the, their age group continues to grow and catches up to them, it becomes clear, oh, they weren't supremely athletic. They were just bigger and faster than everybody else who was their age. But now that they're all the same, they're just kind of meh. And so you'll see offers or ratings drop at that point. They didn't, like they being the evaluators, they didn't get to see that drop. BYU's recruiting a guy, Micah Mate Lau out of California this year. He's an offensive lineman. He was rated fairly high. I think he's an 87 or an 88 as a sophomore. He's got, had early offers from like Nebraska and BYU and a couple of other P5 schools. Like he had a pretty solid early offer list of four or five schools. I don't know. I mean, BYU was still in touch with him but nobody's really seen him play. Like he played four games last year at Upland high school. And I think he was hurt for two of them and he doesn't have the means to go on a ton of different camps and visits across the country. Like some of these other kids do. So him in September, when he takes the field is going to be kind of the first time that anybody's got to see him play in two years. I get asked about Mate Lau all the time of well, right. where's BYU at with him. He's the BYU just got all these offensive line recruits, but he's rated higher than all of them. Okay, but he was rated as a sophomore. He's now a senior, and he's not really played since then. Nobody's seen him since then. It's really tough to know what he is. So why is BYU not actively pushing? Well, they're still recruiting him. The potential is still there. But this isn't just fans haven't got to see him because we didn't get access to his huddle tape. Nobody has got to see him over the last almost two years. It's one of the weirder recruiting cycles that has ever happened and, and it's similar to like what we saw last year with the Miguel brothers where they would had they had a normal season they would have blown up but just they did not get the evaluation like they didn't go get to hit the camp circuit between their junior and senior year their senior year got canceled and pushed to the spring like things were just really weird across the board for a lot of players and we're still in that weird kind of like what we talked about with nil of how there's going to be this initial surge we're still also recruiting is weird because of the transfer portal guys got a free year to transfer because of COVID the transfer portal is still new. You have guys that are going from one piece school, five school entering the transfer portal, then walking on it like Kansas state to save face because they don't want to, because they thought they could get something. And then their best offer was like North Texas and they didn't want to do that. It's and so, strange. and so there is this initial surge of, tons and tons of guys going into the transfer portal, which has a knock-on effect of, well, if we're a lower school bringing in a transfer or then we don't have as many slots for high school kids. So there's kind of some regurgitation and shuffling of scholarships around. And that's, there are going to be fewer guys scholarships going to Juco and high school guys for the next couple of years. And I think that eventually will settle down as well. There will be enough horror stories of, well, you didn't, I mean, kind of look at, Tavita Mounga, right? He went in the transfer portal and he didn't play, sat for a year or two years. Great. Sat, yeah. Had I mean, that, that, that's the other issue. Is um, like kids, you still got to go to school. Right. And so it's McGow brothers, you still go, go to school. Right. And so it's, you need to, uh, you have those transfer portal issues where it's, you know, that was, in. that was subtle. I don't know if people are going to catch, I'm not going to repeat it, but people might have to rewind that to, to hear that. That was a big nugget of information. That was a big nugget. And the way you trailed off, I just thought that you, I thought that was a, oh crap, I didn't mean to say that out loud. <laughs> no, that was a, I mean, I kind of didn't because I don't like to disparage kids, but that's a big nugget. So rewind that folks. There's a nugget 
a, a morsel. That's 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 like a thigh. Like that is a thigh, a chicken thigh. That's not a nugget. That is meaty enough and real meat, not processed ground meat. That was a real chicken thigh of a nugget. And I don't know if it even got picked up because I said it so weird. It, it did. I mean, I heard it, but you know, it's guys are going in. There's going to be enough horror stories of guys who thought that they had something where kids will be like, okay, maybe I should just stay here. Or I need to just accept that if I want playing time, I need to like, it's not going to work out in the sec and I should just go to conference USA or the Sun Belt, And there's nothing wrong with that. Yep. I agree. And I think it will regulate itself a little bit. Garrett, I want to transition a little, and it's a rocky transition because I'm doing it and I suck at transitions. I did game-by-game predictions. Two months away from the season, I went and predicted scores of every game this year. Uh, I did it. it I, 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 I entertained myself as I was writing. Like I very rarely write and read it back and go, damn, I'm a good writer damn, this was fun to read. But to, this was one of those that as I read this through was, it, This is the best piece you've put out in a while. Yeah, it was fun to read. So I just want to go, please go read it because I think it is fun. But I want to just give you the scores and you tell me agree or disagree and why you disagree as we go through these. Week one, I've got BYU 35, Arizona 17. Uh, I agree. That's. Okay. I think that's spot on. I think it may even be bigger than that. Okay, week two, I've got BYU 17, Utah 27. I disagree. Ooh. I think that will be a that will be a one score game that rips hearts out on one side or the other. Okay. Okay. I uh I, I always kind of err a little bit on the side of caution. And this is one of the uh, and this is why, but this is one of my satirical paragraphs here. As I said, spoiler alert, Kyle Whittingham's deal with the college football gods still hasn't expired. So no matter what happens on the field, Utah's going to win this game. Don't blame me. I just report the news. I hate that that is true, but I think, I don't think it will be a two score game. Like I think it could okay. be like, I think it 27, I think it's like 27, 24. Okay. And got a first down at the 30 yard line. So a classic 45 minutes with 45 seconds to go yeah. type of game. Like, okay. It's, I think it'll be a one score game. That's okay. I, don't, I like it. I like your confidence. I don't agree, but I like it. Week three, uh, BYU 31, Arizona state 21. Agree. Arizona state's going to be a mess with every, yeah. their investigation. They're I think so too. Fall off. I said in this article, I said, we don't know if there's fire underneath all of the smoke surrounding the recruiting allegations, but there's enough smoke that I don't think Arizona state's going to be able to see what's five feet in front of them. I think they're going to be so distracted this year that the, a team that should win the PAC 12 South is going to struggle to be bowl eligible. That's how I see Arizona state's season playing out this year. It will be interesting. We may see a couple like freak transfers of guys leaving in the next week or two and applying for a waiver yeah. To play this year at a different yep. school before stuff comes out. Uh, done. Week four, BYU 42, USF 13. Yeah, USF is bad. Yeah, they, they suck and they travel. They suck. Yep. We're, we're fans. Will Turner covers USF for 24-7. Uh, he loves giving Mel Brigham. He's got an affinity for BYU. Cougars and, and Bulls link up for each of the next three seasons. So Will Turner is a fan of the show. 
love you, Will, but USF sucks this year, and I'm sorry that you have to cover a team that's going to suck as bad as USF is. I'm s- I'm sorry you have to cover a team that doesn't have an on-campus stadium and has to play in the freaking Bucks stadium. Like yeah. it's just, yeah, it's brutal, bad. brutal. Uh, week five, BYU thirty-five, Utah State fourteen. I think it's bigger than that. I don't. I don't think yeah. Utah State's going to be good. Even like they they were so bad last year, and they are not returning much. Like they went out and hit the portal hard because it was just a mess. And it's I Blake Anderson has a very very steep road ahead of him. Well, and there's this. So I think this is why. And I I'm with you. I think it's a a multi score game. Um, here's why I think it's going to be even tougher. Is okay. Blake Anderson is not from Utah. He has no even vague idea of what this game is, right? And he's going to be told BYU is a big deal. He's going to be told BYU is the rival. I get it. But he is going to look at it the same way any rational football coach would and say that he's playing Boise State the week before BYU. That's a conference game. That's a big deal. That's the game we care about, right? Like that's the one that matters. The conference race matters more than this non-conference rival in BYU. We all know that's not the case. I don't think Blake Anderson is – he's going to be told that's the case, but he's not going to realize that's the case until this week in this game. I think it bites him in the butt a little bit, surprises him. I like Blake Anderson. think he's the guy going forward. I think he's much better than the last Coast Anderson that they had in Logan, but this year's going to suck for, for Aggie fans. Uh, week 7, BYU 27, Boise State 24. Agree. I think it's, I think we still win, especially at home. It'll be great to have a three game win streak against them. Um, They're bouncing back. I don't know what Andy Avalos, what things are going to look like. Um, I think there'll be obviously, I think there'll be a little bit of scheme change on the defense, but he is a good defensive coach. So I think he won't let the blowout that happened last year happen again. Um, But I think with, a new offensive coordinator, um, you know, with, with a new offensive coordinator and uh, quarterbacks coach coming in. Um, and he, I mean, he's coming from UC Davis, um, you know, where, I mean, I don't know how much of a difference there will be in terminology for them or how things, I mean, kind of a lot of the schools run very similar things, but it's with a new coordinator and a new staff, I, I think the Broncos will kind of have another semi-pedestrian year i mean they'll still compete for the mountain west championship because there's not a whole lot around them but i think they're you can't keep hiring slam dunk coaches that are going to keep things rolling the things will falter eventually i agree uh week seven byu 17 baylor 23 i've got byu losing to baylor by a touchdown here's why this is the seventh game in seven weeks and BYU will be traveling to Texas, which is really their first true road game out of the state of Utah. Right. Hmm. And I don't know that Baylor's offense is going to be great. Jeff Grimes has his work cut out for him this year. Like they got a lot of work to do, but that defense is going to be legit. Dave Aranda is smart. Like that guy can coach. Yeah. Dave is smart. I, I think this will be interesting. I think this one is probably the biggest unknown because like what you said, it's like, okay, seven games in seven weeks. What does that mean? Injury wise, you know, guys will be healthy. Is that a bunch of guys? Like, you know, if someone goes down against Utah state, but then it's like, they have the Boise week to prepare. And so you have kind of fresh guys that have some experience or, you know, what does that look like? Especially like at the QB position, you know, if Jaron Hall gets hurt, 
but then Jacob Conover, Baylor Romney comes in and they've started for three games, you know, like is the injury as big of an issue then because it's like stuff is under their belt. Um, but then again, Baylor was very bad last year. Like they were a mess and they lost a lot after, um, you know, they, after their great 2019 season, they took a huge, huge step back last year. And then after one season, you know, fired Larry Fedora, retooled that offensive staff again. And there may be some, I think there's going to be some growing pains similar to what BYU had in the 2018 season. So I think it could be Baylor's like the ship is righted and they're back to 2019 form. And it's like a lot further than that, or they could be even worse and completely fall off a cliff. Like I, this is the biggest question mark for me on the schedule. So a lot of BYU fans disagreed with me, said BYU, they, they agreed with me up to this game. And then they said, BYU will beat Baylor. So if that is, let's just pretend that's the case. BYU beats Baylor. And that was most BYU fans who've read this article. The feedback that I've received is that I'm wrong about Baylor. That means that most BYU fans are totally content or confident or whatever in saying that BYU will be six and one, seven games into the season. That seems wild to me. That means BYU is probably a, a top 12 team. If they are six and one, they have wins over Baylor, Boise, Arizona State, and Arizona, and a, a close-ish loss to Utah. I would bet that they are top fifteen team in the country at that point. Definitely, and even and, I mean, even at five and one, they're going to be top twenty. Yeah, so that's a that's a big ask. I I think they lose to Baylor, and then I think they lose the next week, week eight at Washington State. I think that's going to be a shootout that Washington state ultimately pulls away in the fourth quarter because BYU just is gassed eight games in eight weeks. And then traveling from Texas to Pullman. Uh, I have, I have the final score BYU 31, Washington state 42. Yeah, I think I agree with that one. I think Washington state it's there. That offense is going to give fits. Um, I mean, we've already seen against, we saw in the Hawaii Bowl two years ago, what the offense looks like against BYU. And it's a tough matchup. And they're, you know, I think that's where the conditioning and exhaustion will come into play. But even then, going through that eight game slate, things end up at five and three. Like, I'm not complaining. I mean, obviously, it depends on why, because not all five and threes are created equal. All right. Like, there's, you know, if it's, if you're losing games by like two points, but with how much was being replaced, I mean, Bill Connolly came out again this week and said like, we have the lowest returning production of any team in the country. That's right? so skewed this year though. Like it I is, hate that. It is skewed. Year. It is skewed, but it's still realities. All those other programs that had teams that had guys coming back, they have experience coming back. And they do, but they also like Utah, like, yeah, they they're bringing back most of their team from last year, which is, is true. It's a factual statement, but they also only played five games last year. So it's not like you're bringing, I mean, back- he's waited and counted for that. Like it's not full season. It, it's a how- look at it starts. It, it's, it looks at starts and games played. I, I just don't know how you really can wait and account for that. It's, yeah. it's like, I get the numbers side of it. Like right. I understand how it works and that's what he does. But in, in, in taking that data, which I don't disagree at all with the data, but I, the application of what that means is tough for me because we have no idea what those numbers really represent, right? Like what is the value of five games versus the value of 12 games versus the value of zero games and just staying healthy and practicing. And then all of that, what is the, the, the ultimate toll that 
playing five games took on a team last year as they went through COVID protocols and all those weird stuff. Like there's so many variables that we'll never see again in college football uh, that, that are, that we're trying to account for and everybody is guessing on how to do it. I don't disagree with the way that Bill Connolly did it or the way that Phil Steele has done it or the way that anybody will do it because it's all a guessing game. I don't know how to do it. Like, but that that's just such a hard number to, to actually apply for me at this point. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know what it'll shake out being, but it's, I, I think that that game is, you know, especially with the travel of yeah, the travel, tough. the long thing, the mat, it's not a great matchup um, style wise for the team. Like it's, it's just not, it's going to be a tough game all around. I just agree. like Pullman sucks, right? Like it's, it I'd just be depressed sucks. for having to be there. Do they have an airport or do you still have to fly in somewhere and then bus? Well, I mean, I think the I, you fly into Idaho probably. And because like Coeur d'Alene, no Moscow, Idaho. So the University of Idaho and Washington State, their campuses are like closer together than BYU and UVU. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. So actually, let me see um, how far apart, but it's like they are legitimately like five is miles there, apart. Is there an airport the, there then? I, one of them has an airport, um, like a little regional, whatever. Yeah. So Washington state university to the university of Idaho, 6.7 miles apart. Jeez. Had no idea. Okay. Then that's not so. Um, Moving on in our uh, predictions, I guess week nine, Virginia, this is almost the rivalry game to me. It's the Bronco game. The return of Bronco. Please cheer for Bronco. Please give him a. Uh, he's going to get booed. He got booed <laughs> at his first home game, and he's going to get booed in his last game in Lavelle Stadium. <laughs> oh, I've got BYU winning this game because uh, look, we we don't know much about Bronco Mendenhall. Like he's kind of an enigma, a different guy. Uh, love him, hate him, whatever you want to do, but he's just kind of a different guy. And but there's one thing we do know, and it's. For whatever reason, these big emotional games, there was always a letdown at BYU, always. Whether it was a rivalry game, whether it was a must-win game against Florida State, whether it was a whatever, whenever there was that kind of pressure, his teams kind of faltered. When there was no pressure, they could come in and play loose. They could upset Texas. They could upset Oklahoma. But when there was pressure, they always seemed to fail for whatever reason that I don't know. And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on him this game. Virginia is not going to be a very good football team this year. They have to travel all the way across the country. I like BYU. I have 28-17 as the final score. I think that's probably accurate. I just, I don't see it with Virginia. I, I, I don't, it's, they're recruiting. They have not replaced the talent. They're in a tough division. They haven't replaced the talent that was there when he got there they don't have Bryce Perkins at quarterback, which is what they needed to get to the orange bowl. And I just don't like, yeah, I don't see it being a great thing. And I think the travel is going to make a difference. It's is, I don't remember. Do we play them one more time in Charlottesville or did we, I think so. I think there's a 2022, 23. I I couldn't remember if he like dropped that. Cause I know he said he didn't want to play us, but I couldn't remember if they like bought out. They renegotiated the deal and pushed the ones at Virginia out. But I think it's like, I I think we're close now. Like I, I remember hearing 2021 and thinking, wow, there's a chance Bronco won't be there then. Right. And that was the first game of the renegotiated contract. Right. 
uh, week 10, this will be the 10th game in 10, day, in 10 weeks. Like this is a grind for BYU. Um, I want to just, I'll read off everything that I have. Cause I, I wrote down literally all the interesting things I could about this game. There will be a football game played between BYU and Idaho state on November 6, 2021 at Lavelle Edwards stadium. BYU will win that game. That's it. That's all I got. I have 52, 10 as the final score. I it might be bigger than that. I don't know. Yeah, Actually, it might be less than that because it depends. They may like the starters may get pulled earlier. Cause like even last year against North Alabama is they pulled everyone in like the fourth quarter. I think Zach came out at halftime, but the most of the rest of the starters just came out after the third quarter. Yeah. This you, you may see guys coming out earlier as soon as it is in hand, just because of the 10 games in 10 weeks. And just like yep, that's that true. Grind. And, and Kalani, you know, I, I struggled even with 52 to 10 because Kalani just doesn't score that many points in these games for whatever reason. He just tends to cap it at about 40. That's just kind of what he well, does. It's just and they get if, up, but you know, they're not coming back. They just start running the ball, yeah. showing the clock. You're getting four and a half yards of pop. Doesn't matter. Cruise control. Yep. Uh, week 11 at Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern, this is a tough game, I think, but it is coming off a bye. Georgia Southern is better than most BYU fans realize. BYU should still win this game, and I think they will. I have 34-27 as the final score. Uh, but this is a tougher game than people realize. Georgia Southern runs a triple option, and they've got, a, a, I think, three really, really talented running backs. They've got a pretty good defensive line on the other side of the ball. This is a good Georgia Southern team. Uh, but, again, BYU should and will win. 34-27 is my final score. Yep. I – think it will be a close game and I think it will be frustrating. It's going to be similar to the UTSA game was how the UTSA game was last year where people will be like, this is a crap team that we should beat and have stomped and whatever. And, but on the road again, and I, I think coming off of a bye, I think it will be 34 to 27 or similar score, but it is going to be, it's going to feel a lot bigger than yeah, yep. it's going to feel well in hand until you get down to, you know, the last four minutes of the game, you're like, oh, well, crap, we're only going to buy a touchdown. If they come back and score here, then things might, this yep, could be away from us. Like, but, it, but the majority of the game was going to feel in hand regardless of what the scoreboard says. Completely agree. Final game of the regular season at USC. Uh, this is a big game. Like, this is the game. If BYU wins, according to what we've got here, it's a nine and three record, a winning record against P5 schools. And you have a chance to go to a bowl game, pick up another win and have back-to-back double-digit season, double-digit win seasons. That's a big game. That's a really big, big game. But I've got BYU losing 31 to 24. I think, I don't know what, this is a similar to the Baylor. I think it just, this is a huge question mark being week 12, oh, yeah. right? Clay like Helton could be gone. If Clay Helton is gone, Keaton Slovis is hurt and maybe like Jackson dark could be playing his second game of the season. Like, and the wheels could just have completely fallen off. Like this is very dependent on who USC. Yep. It's huge. And it's, I mean, the talent is there, right. But that same talent that they're just as talented as they were when we played them in 2019 and beat them. And so that can happen again. Um, and so it will be, um, I like the sunglasses from our visitor in the background. He looks, he looks good. Um, the So I don't know what USC this is, but I think it probably is in that ballpark. And I think it's probably 31 to 24 because 
USC is slightly underperformed and Clay Helton's seat is really hot. And if he's not getting fired, if USC, like you put their, say they're seven, four going into this game, uh, USC is, um, USC is probably if Clay Helton is not fired, everyone knows he's getting fired and that could affect things going into this game. And, and that's oh, to so one way or the other. That could be yeah. guys hate him and they're glad he's gone and they've already checked out. Or it could be they like him, but they know the writing's on the wall and they are going to play out of their minds. Yeah. For the and, first and time what, all season. And it's like, well, if you cared that much, you could have tried and, you know, put the effort in the rest of the games and, you know, paid a little more attention if you really wanted to right. pull out for your coach because you love him so much. But sometimes that happens in final games. What's so tricky about this too, is too is that that clay helton we've all known clay helton is going to be fired for like two years and yet he hasn't been fired yet like who knows what's happening in los angeles um i have seen what's the word i've seen takes i guess i've seen opinions from byu fans saying that they're not impressed with keaton slovis that his ball is wobbly that he hasn't actually been that good i don't know what football games they are watching keaton Enough. slovis is is legit he Enough is very very are yeah yeah this kid can play he is clutch that's maybe the best part about his game is yeah usc's been in some close games but outside of that byu game in his first road start ever uh when he's had a chance to seal the deal late either you know put a, a an extra touchdown on the board and and make it out of reach or a comeback game winning drive he's delivered almost every time like Keaton Slovis throws a pretty ball. He's insanely accurate. Uh, no, he doesn't have the arm strength of Zach Wilson. He's not going to, you know, whip it across his body and throw it 65 yards down the field. Like Zach could, but Keaton Slovis is worth all of the hype that he has. I don't know what games BYU fans are watching. I have a tendency to believe that BYU fans are making their assumptions, their takes, their opinions on Keaton Slovis because of what they saw from Keaton Slovis when he played against BYU. Even in that game, he was not the reason that, that USC lost. The reason USC lost is because they could not figure out how to just run the football. They were getting eight yards of carry when they did, but Graham Harrell insisted on throwing the ball. Into air raid going to air raid. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but Keaton Slovis, his stat line, he had a couple of interceptions, but if you remember, both of those were off of deflected passes. It wasn't like they were just awful reads. Uh, and those, those interceptions look bad, but outside of that, right? Like he was pretty accurate through for 300 some odd yards. Like he, he played really well. Keaton Slovis is legit. And that's it. That's our, that's my season. I, I just looked at the clock, Garrett. It's been a long show. It has been a long show. Uh, not the longest because we we did have a very long conversation. We did a lot of planning. Uh, yeah, you're some, right. We well, did, we have. This is not the magazine, okay? I mean, we did talk about the magazine. And the magazine didn't happen, but we have we did do kind of a solid. We had our comp inventory, you might say. Yeah, we yep. we talked about our our plan of what we are looking for and what we want to do throughout the rest of the season to expand beyond the podcast and, uh, you know, and how we want to work that and what type of content people will want over at Cougar Sports Insider and all of those things. So we talked for probably a solid 45 minutes before. Yeah, we you're right. Today. That's true. Okay. So not as long as it feels and maybe just short enough that we can sneak in our sound from an interview we had earlier this week for you guys to enjoy. Uh, BYU's had a great run on the recruiting trail this week, picked up three commitments from offensive linemen, uh, Peter Falanico, 
Vai Soifua and Trevin Osler all committed. Uh, they are. I probably... love Vai Soifua. Like oh, that clip awesome. that was going around of him at the Ole Miss camp, like he just has lineman recruiting is weird because obviously it matters frame and like can you pack on the weight, but it's like he's strong and he's mean, and that's 90% of being a good lineman. Yeah, I, I love in the I interior. Love. It a tackle, it's a little bit harder because you have to be quick enough to get out and get your legs out and have a long enough reach to ride those edge rushers. But if you're a guard, like if you're strong as hell and mean, you can figure you can be, it out. You can be an okay guard. Yep, uh, I agree. Soifo has got uh, he's he's got all the potential in the world. I love Peter Falanico as well. Uh, we have an interview. BYU is going to bring in one more offensive lineman, and it appears that their top target or one of their top targets for that last spot is uh, a Snoop Amama. I think his real name is Tapuvai, but he goes by Snoop. He tells us why he goes by Snoop in this interview, which is not like related to Snoop Dogg at all. I was surprised. It's because he loved the show Peanuts, and Snoopy was his favorite character when he was a kid, and so his parents just called him Snoopy. And that has evolved into Snoop. That's probably how Snoop Dogg got his name too. Probably. Uh, you're probably right. Uh, anyway, Snoop, a mama, very, very down to earth kid. Very fun interview. Uh, short, 10, 15 minutes long. Give it a listen. You won't be disappointed. Okay. All right. We are joined now. By Snoop Amama, which your last name, Snoop, is my favorite last name in the world. It has six letters, but you will need two letters to spell it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one of the craziest things in the world to me. I, I don't know. I, I love it. So, did I pronounce it right? How do you pronounce it? Ama Ama. Ama Ama. Okay. So, okay. So I was wrong. I got I to gotta get my Polynesian pronunciation a little bit better. Every time I think I'm good, I'm not quite there. No, it's fine. You sounded pretty good when you said it. You're good. <laughs> uh, so for those of you who don't know, Snoop is absolutely blowing up. Uh, Sky Ridge offensive lineman, big time prospect, just picked up an offer from, from Miami, I think last week, two weeks ago. Yeah. You're, you're starting to hear a bunch from some other P5 schools as well. And we're going to get into all of that good stuff on the recruiting side of things. But before we do that, uh, I, I want to just get to know you a little bit, man. That's who is Snoop Amama? Um, I'm just someone who um, enjoys spending time with my family, and I just love the game of football. I've been playing it ever since I was a kid, and I just fell in love with it right away. And uh, growing up, my older brother played football, so I just automatically fell in love with the game too. So, And he's been like my mentor ever since I was a kid. And he's just been helping me to become the man I am today. So that's awesome. That's awesome. So your older brother, did he did he play college ball as well? Yes, sir. He played at the U. At the U. Okay. So you got to connect yeah. there to to the University of Utah. Um, you play at Sky Ridge High now. Have you always lived in the the Lehigh, the, I guess Utah area, or or where are you from originally? What brought you to Lehigh? Have you always been in Lehigh? Tell us a little bit about uh, kind of your upbringing. So I used to live in um, West Valley, and okay. I used to go to Bingham High School. Okay. Uh, and I transferred over because my mom and them and my dad, they found better jobs out here and just better housing for cheaper money. Yeah. So we moved out here, and the closest school to my house is Sky Ridge. And we always heard about Sky Ridge. Always, uh, they're always consistent every year, making it to the playoffs and just being very dominant. So 
um, my mom and them, they made it happen so I can go to that school. That That's big time. At Sky Ridge, man, you guys, I, I know everybody wants to talk about Corner Canyon this year, but Sky Ridge, you guys got some talent. You guys could make a run with McKay Hillstead at quarterback. You, you Yes, sir. Stan Ross on the other side of things. I, I'm really close to John Ross. I, I, I love John Ross. He's one of my good oh, yeah. in the world. That's a good family right there. They're awesome. And I think you guys, I think you guys can give Sky Ridge a run, or Sky Ridge, your Sky Ridge, can give Court <laughs> a run for their money this year. I'm kind of excited to, to see it play out. Um, all right. So we got to talk about the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. School. And nobody wants to, you're a football player. Nobody wants to talk about school. But but what do you like to do, man? I mean, tell me about some of the off the field stuff that you like to do. What favorite subject in school? What do you want to study when you get to the next level, when you get to college? I mean, some of some of that stuff that maybe we don't know about you uh, from watching your whole highlights. Um, uh, in school, I like uh, uh, what I'm looking for, what I'm looking to uh, pursue when I get to college is sociology. Because okay. um, I'm a talkative person in school. That's Sometimes it can be like a negative, but I love talking to people. I love getting to know people, just knowing their background and stuff like that. And then- yeah. Uh, in high school, my favorite subject right now would have to be, uh, I would have to say math. Math, I don't know why numbers just click for me. That's awesome. There's something about numbers that just, um, it like, puts peace in my mind, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Man, uh, if if you like math, you're already, I don't need to know anything about how you do in math. You're a better student. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, so on the Give Them Hell, Bring Them podcast, we're, we're also kind of foodies. Like we think we're foodies. We, we talk about food almost as much as we talk about football. Uh, what do you, what do you like to eat, man? I mean, where, where's the, where's the spot that in Lehigh or wherever, like what restaurant do you have to hit up? What is it that maybe mom cooks that, that you need more than anything on a Sunday night? But like, what's your birthday dinner? Tell us about the food that you like, because that's crucial to this, to this podcast. I have to say, my mom she makes good uh, poke. Okay. She she makes the best. So, and like I'm I'm big on like fish and like seafood. So I always pick like sushi, any sushi spot. Um, there's a place called Sushi House. Yeah. Okay. It's in uh I think AF, and that okay. place is just that place is bomb. I love that place. That's all. I mean, I'm a little surprised, man, to to see somebody as big as you are, the the size, the strength that you have. Sushi is your favorite food. That's a little surprising. <laughs> awesome, man. All right, let's get into some of the football stuff, into the recruiting stuff. You've got that Miami offer. I know that there's some P5 schools, you know, Utah, and a few others that are starting to knock on your door a little bit more. Uh, maybe just give us kind of a, for those who don't know, where, where you're at in your recruiting process, who are some of the schools that are after you the hardest, and, and uh, maybe who do you think is going to offer next in the next couple of weeks? I'm I'm expecting um, some offers from uh, Florida State, like, and Virginia, and then okay. I because I keep in I keep I keep in contact with those coaches, with the all line coach at Florida State, and then the all line coach at Virginia, and um, who's recruiting me the hardest is uh, Miami. Um, yeah. I just did an interview with them yesterday, and just their fan base they really love me a lot over there, and their coaching staff they're recruiting me pretty hard over there. So that's awesome. Miami's a great school uh, yeah, and Florida state as well. So do you have a connection or something that has these Florida schools coming all the way out to Utah that 
to try and get you or do they just love what you bring on the field and they're willing to make the trip all the way across the country to grab you? They just liked uh, my performance that I did out there at the Miami Paradise Camp. Okay. They just loved my performance out there. And I guess um, I made so much noise over there that it, it echoed out to Florida State. And now they know about me out there. And now they're just coming to recruit me out here now. That's awesome. Uh, I know BYU was in the mix as well. They, they threw out an offer. Uh, it's been a few weeks now since you received your offer from BYU. Uh, mm-hmm. they had a flurry of commitments from, from some local guys here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and really yes, a few days. And I know now that, that uh, from, from people that I've talked to, that you're really high on their priority list here going forward. Uh, so tell me a little bit about BYU and what your relationship is like with them. Um, I'm assuming you, you talk a lot with coach funk when you talk with BYU, what, what's he, how does he, you know, what's his personality? Like other than he wears dad hats, none of us get to know. We don't, we don't know him very much yet. He's, he's a, he's a humble man. Um, he, he really loves, um, getting to know people like the recruits, like personally. And he just loves every time I call him, he always asks about my mom, my dad, and just how my family's doing. So he's a very, uh, family oriented orient orientated man and he just he just loves um he loves getting to know people like in person and um he really wants me over there at BYU BYU is a an awesome program they're they're I think they're better than Utah sometimes sometimes (laughs) I mean you're saying the right thing on this podcast I mean everybody (laughs) agree with you yeah but they're a great program and I was just blessed to um, for Coach Funk to offer me, and um, I always keep them close, close to me because uh, they were the first in-state school to offer me. So yeah, I always have a a spot for them. So that's yeah. cool. Have you have you thought at all about uh, any of your official visits or anything like that? I know that you you've been you've been everywhere on unofficial visits so far this summer, uh, but now I mean, the season's starting. It's a dead period now. Uh, I'm assuming if you're getting to a point that maybe you got to start whittling down that list a little bit, finding the schools you're going to focus on the most. Have you thought at all about officials or do you have any scheduled for, for this fall coming up? Uh, kind of, I have some, I want to take an official to um, Hawaii, the university of Hawaii and Syracuse and Miami. Those are the three I have planned out right now. Okay. Awesome. So three, three sort of locked in already and then two more that are still out there. Uh, yeah. Do you want to take all five of those officials before you make a decision or, or are you hoping to get this wrapped up and so you can focus on the season or what are your thoughts on that timeline? I want to take uh, my officials and then I'm going to let my season go and then I'll narrow down my um, decisions when I play um, whenever my last game for high school okay. ball comes. Hey, hopefully that's late in the season, you know, like December in the state championship. Am I right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, last couple things, Snoop, and then I'll let you go. Uh, for Snoop, I mean, where where does that nickname come from? Like, we all know Snoop Dogg. I went to high school with the dude who played guitar. We called him Snoop. But where did, where does Snoop come from for you? Because that's, I mean, that's really what people call you all the time. Uh, yeah. Where did that originate? When I was a kid, I, um, I I was a big fan of Charlie Brown, and my favorite character on there was Snoopy. Okay. And growing up, I always wore the Snoopy pajamas. So <laughs> okay. the name just came with this. So my oh, parents awesome. were Snoopy and stuff like that. So That's awesome. Uh, last thing, man, and then uh, we'll, we'll let you go. 
what what is it that you're looking for and maybe who is helping you make this decision i'm assuming you're not out there on an island just by yourself so what are who who's helping you figure out what is the most important thing for you in the recruiting process i mean is it a a really collaborative effort with your parents with your brother uh, or are they kind of letting you figure it out for yourself? And, and really, what are you looking for as you go through this process in a school? Um, when I look into a school, I look how they're going to treat me for the next four years and just um, the atmosphere. Like if, if I go to a program and they're not very welcoming, then um, I just like make a list of it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to go, go to a school that's um, um, they love my family and they, they really love me for who I am. And um, well, my family are pretty much the only ones helping me um, throughout this recruiting process with different schools and which ones to keep and which ones to uh, look look out for. Mm-hmm. Like my older brother, he gives me some knowledge on that. And I always ask my mom and dad for help, like always. So awesome. uh, I just keep, yeah, with those three, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll, I'll be able to pick the right school for me, so. Good. Well, we're cheering for you. I mean, obviously, our listeners, we hope that's in Provo. We hope to see you in Royal Blue. Uh, but if we don't, man, I mean, it's it's hard not to cheer for a guy like you. Just super humble, super, super down to earth, and excited to see where you go in the future. Uh, big time, big time prospect. Thank you. It means a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stu, for, for joining us today, and uh, we'll, we'll let you get going. Thank you. You have a nice day. Thanks. So Jeff, what did you think about, like, what was your favorite part or what stuck out the most about that podcast or the interview with just, just Snoop's personality. Like he, he's starting to blow up. You heard him talk about it, that he's got a recent offer from Miami. Uh, He thinks Virginia is going to offer soon. I have heard other schools that there are so many freaking linemen. I do not understand why instead of cultivating relationships with coaches in their own backyard where there are way more players playing football on the Atlantic seaboard than there are in Utah County. But for some reason that staff is on a plane every other week to Provo. Well, let me tell you why. And it's because they can't recruit unless they have the Mormon pitch. Do you look at Virginia's recruiting? I just got you to say it. I was thinking, I just wanted you to be the one to say Oh, it. no, I'll say it. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it, and then I'm, I'm very proud of it. Like, they struggle. Their recruiting classes have been pretty bad. Relative, compared to what they were before. Because when compared, Mike London, they were a Mike top London 20 recruiting four, team. Yeah. They were, like, four out of the five years. from So, I guess, from 2011 to 2015, like, four out of those five years, they had top 30 classes. Yeah, not anymore. Not anymore. And so, they have to come out here where – they can offer a similar experience to what BYU and Utah can in that they don't practice on Sundays. They you know, do things a little bit differently, but they're outside of Utah. And that's, that's why they're able to lure kids from Utah. It's a very compelling pitch. If you want to just get out of the state and you're ready to move out of your house, very compelling pitch. But when everybody is making that pitch in the East Coast, and you're competing against all these other schools that are doing the same thing, and you don't have that weird Mormon connection that they have, uh, they've struggled. They've struggled mightily, bigly, as some yeah, I was talking the other day to someone about this, and it was kind of like, you know, I think a lot of LDS kids, they're fine with Bronco. Because, I mean, I think one kind of admit, like, Bronco, he's kind of a weird dude, right? Well, but and Bronco at Virginia is different. Like, he's laid back. He's the Bronco 
that he was, was the Mexico. defensive coordinator. Yeah. Right. And people and, love that Bronco. Right. And so, but if you think about like the Bronco at BYU Bronco, it's kind of like LDS kids. It's like, we're used to it. It's like you grew up, you had that teacher's quorum advisor that you're like, he's a weird dude. I would never really yeah. be friends with him, but it's like, I know him. I know he means well. I respect him. Like I'm, you know, all these kids, like we learn like not to be rude to people just because we don't necessarily get along with them exactly the same, whatever, hopefully. And so it's like, if you kind of grew up and had a bunch of different young men's leaders who you didn't, weren't always BFFs with, but then you, you kind of learned that skill and that works. But if you're just like a random kid, some of the hokey stuff, I guess probably, they probably can't say hokey at Virginia, um, but some Ooh, of the cheesy call. stuff that they're doing, it's like, you know, guys just like, they do not buy into that. Yeah. Well, and they just, they want football and uh, yeah, it's tough. So anyway, um, there's a handful of schools that are going to offer snoop Arizona state. Utah is, is also lurking around. He didn't mention Utah. I really like snoop's game. He's a big dude. He's like three thirty right now, just a, a road grader. You're going to see his recruiting profile take off. I don't know how realistic it is for BYU at this point, but BYU, I think, has identified him as a top target, if not the top target for their last offensive line spot. Uh, and they're going to do what they can to get him. You know, and I think what you said of, um, you know, I think what you said of the top target of getting him, I think we want to point out that Falanaika and Soifua those are like one and two on the list of in terms of their yeah. own Daryl Funk's personal evaluations and how the offensive staff thinks of the offense of these linemen. Yep. That is like, they think, you know, that is what they are thinking. And, um, and so Snoop would be, he, I like three or four on that list, but he's like, you know, he's the top remaining target. Yes. Uh, that's a very good way to put it. And I think it's a good way to end the show. It is a good way to end the show. It's been a great show. And Jeff, we'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, give them hell. Give them hell.